0: Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode one
1: thirteen. <laughs>
0: of soup. What? I don't know. What's all the weird questions? What is the meaning of spoon? (laughs) This is my favorite episode of Adventure Time. It's an animated series on the Cartoon Network, and it features Jake the dog and Finn the human, and together they go on adventures. And many times those adventures explore ideas and emotions and life situations that would be really difficult for other fictional shows to tackle, because in Adventure Time, just about anything can happen. Can the we'll
1: never
0: for instance, in this episode, Finn and Jake are walking through the woods looking for a cool cave to check out when... Jake picks up on Finn's depression. He's just gone through a breakup, and he's having a really hard time sorting Uh, himself out. That's
1: all fine. i just been feeling kind of gray, is all. Like, my inside voice has been kind of quiet lately. Not a lot of instructions forthcoming, you know? Yeah, well, sounds like you said...
0: So, Jake is trying to cheer Finn up when they discover that their path is blocked by a train going by. I'll snap you out of the... Whoa, what?
1: What's this train all about?
0: <laughs> so they decide to wait until it passes, but it never passes, and so they take a nap, and they wake up, and it's still going. So Jake elongates his body, he gets a bird's-eye view, and that's when he sees that the train is actually a never-ending loop. All the cars are connected. No beginning, no end, and it's going around a giant circular track Forever. So they jump on board. But there are little monsters in each car, and when they defeat them, those monsters drop loot. Weapons and armor and magical items. Whoa. Look at all the loot that guy dropped while you whipped his butt. Dang, look at that sword. Whoa. Feels kind of right. And so Finn is hooked. And he keeps going from car to car, getting better stuff, killing slightly more difficult enemies, getting better stuff, killing slightly more difficult enemies, until he's made it all the way back around. Dude, this is the ant car. We already did the ant car. We did all the ants. Same car,
1: but those are blue ants. These are red ants.
0: Finn, I think we. And that be is when Jake starts to worry because Finn tells him that as long as he's on the train, he can't feel sadness. No way. All this feels good. Like my inside voice is saying, hey, keep it up. This is good stuff. Ah, hey. yeah. Like when you made those biscuits way back and I kept eating them until they were all gone. Like that. Finn, I made those biscuits with so much butter. You were just responding to the butter. This whole place is out. Yeah! Now, eventually, Finn gets a piece of loot that lets him see the future, and he sees himself as an old man, and he's still on the train, and he's still leveling up, he's still looking for loot, and that's when he sees his friend Jake, old, still waiting for him to get enough, and that's when he decides to leave. And I'm telling you about this episode because it changed my mind, and that... Change of mind led me to change my behavior. I was deep into a video game called Destiny when I saw this episode, and I was playing it obsessively, and I was stuck in a loop of loot and repetition. But I couldn't see that until I saw Jake the dog and Finn the human stuck in a loop, in a train, going nowhere, forever. So I stopped playing that game, and I'll never play a game like that again. I love video games. I think they're a... uh, unalloyed good in this world but some of them aren't not for me no world of warcraft no Hearthstone, no league of legends and no destiny and thanks to that fictional fantastical narrative thanks to adventure time i will never get back on that train My name is David McCraney, and this is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. And in this episode, we're exploring the power of narrative transport to persuade, to persuade us to change our minds and our behavior, to see the world differently, to put things into context, to create arguments we can't argue against, and we cannot counter argue and shoot down because the story is so compelling and seems so real, even when it is fantastical like Adventure Time, the truth is being Conveyed by that narrative can really change the way that we live our lives. And our guest in this episode, Melanie Green, studies this one particular aspect of human psychology the power of fictional narratives to change people's opinions, beliefs, attitudes, values, to foster or support social change. And that's happened ever since there have been fictional stories. If you want to change people's minds, one of the best ways is to create a very compelling narrative and thanks to psychology we now know the elements that you should include in that narrative if you want to create the most powerful persuasive message possible and after this break melanie green will tell us exactly what psychology has figured out so far I love finding new ways to get inspired to broaden my perspectives, and one way I'm doing that is by watching fantastic video lectures made by The Great Courses Plus, and this is just something you need in your life. This isn't an advertiser to me anymore. This is a, a service that everyone I know needs to take part in. It's so satisfying to learn from these engaging experts they've collected in these great video lectures i'm watching one right now i'm skipping ahead I'm, I'm, I, want, I want i just want you to know about this so much watching one right now about how math and music go together like peanut butter and chocolate the math of music the music of math this is a whole course it's like going to a university and sitting in on a course and you can take as many notes as you like you can do the reference material if you like or you can just sit there and enjoy it like it's a really interesting television program you can enjoy this on your schedule. There's unlimited access to thousands of fascinating video lectures you can explore, topics like science and psychology and photography. The Great Courses Plus lets you stream all this or download them to any device. So You can watch them when you want, on a train, on an airplane, when you're with your relatives in that portion of the country that doesn't have good internet. I recommend checking out this course, Argumentation, the Study of Effective Reasoning. It helps you construct strong, persuasive arguments that can help you do good things in this world. It is, it is not about persuading people to change their behavior in the direction of nefarious purposes. It's about helping everybody have the opportunity to compromise and get what they want, helping us to deliberate, come to mutual understandings. This course is all about that kind of argumentation and you can watch that and the music of math, the math and music. You can get all that for free. Yeah. You can watch one month of this service for free you should just do this no matter what. This is a really great deal. One month of The Great Courses Plus for free by going to this URL. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. Just do it. You get a free month of just, why would you not do this? Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. You will love it. You'll talk about it. Tell me how much you loved it. Send me an email or a tweet. I want to know how much you like this. I love it. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. <music> Let's talk about that thing you're sleeping on right now, the mattress that you're sleeping on. Is it your dream mattress? Is it the one that you expect to be sleeping on for the rest of your life? Probably not. So when you get a mattress, when you get a real one, when you get an adult mattress, a mattress of the future, what are you going to get? Well, I recommend Casper because Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Here's what they do. They have three models. They have the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. And all these Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, but we're going to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small, how-do-they-do-this-sized box with free shipping and returns to the United States and Canada. And the best part is you can be sure of your purchase because you get to sleep on this thing for 100 nights risk-free sleep on this thing. If you don't like it, they will take it back and you're out nothing. You get 100 nights risk-free a third of a year to see if the grass is greener. And that's what you should do because you spend a third of your life sleeping. You should be comfortable. Now, you can get $50 toward any of these three mattress purchases by visiting casper.com slash so smart and use the offer code so smart at checkout. That's casper.com slash so smart. And the offer code is so smart for $50 off your mattress of the future purchase. Terms and conditions apply. And now we return to our program. My name is David McCraney, and this is the You Are Not So Smart podcast.
1: Hey. Yeah, I've been trying to reach you. What? No, I'm not making this up. You gave me this disease. Uh, You know what? Yeah, don't bother calling me again. We're through.
0: This is a short film produced by the University of Southern California called The Tamale Lesson. And in it, a group of women who range in ages from very young, a young teen, all the way up to a grandmother, are in a kitchen going back and forth in a very sort of TV show kind of way, talking about, while making tamales, cervical cancer.
1: You and your boyfriend, you wouldn't understand. Why not? Because you're a prude. You always think you're so perfect and so good, and you will probably judge me.
0: This video was created by Sheila Murphy. She's a professor at the University of Southern California who studies health communication. She had a hunch that this kind of approach would be better than a PSA or a pamphlet. And the idea was to create something that would encourage women to see their doctors and to get pap smears and to have these conversations and to take the steps necessary to prevent cervical cancer.
1: And, um... She has really nice evidence that showed that, that that video, that story video, kind of putting it this in the context of, in this case, it was a family and women talking and discussing these issues and, and those sorts of things, um, that that was more effective at actually changing behavior. So getting women, women to um, take this step to protect their health.
0: That is psychologist Melanie Green.
1: So, my name is Melanie Green, and I'm an associate professor in the communication department at the University of Buffalo.
0: For years now, Green has been studying the power of fictional narratives to persuade us, to change our minds.
1: So, I study how people change their minds through stories. So, how people get immersed in stories and how that can lead them to change how they think about the world.
0: Green says that the tamale lesson takes what we've learned in psychology about the power of storytelling. And it uses that information to create something from the ground up to, on purpose, persuade people.
1: Um, yeah, it's a fun, a fun story with, with sisters and moms and kind of just this fun family discussion. Okay, what's HP? Hmm? Huntington Park. <laughs> no, is the human papilloma virus. I have it in my watch. I yuck. How did you get that? How do you think, stupid? From sex. It can cause cervical cancer. You have cancer? No, no. I have a virus that can cause cervical cancer. Um, But basically, it's the story of these two sisters, and they're getting ready for this party, and one of the sisters is sort of a more reserved, you know... Good girl character, so to speak, and the other one's a little more wild and promiscuous. And uh, one of the sisters comes in, and this all, these conversations all take place when they're sort of in the kitchen preparing this food for the family celebration. And oh, you need to get tested for HPV, or and you need to um, you know, have this screening, and then put the. Mother or the grandmother comes in and says oh what's what's all this conversation about and it's like, Oh well, older women need this test too and here's here's how it is and this is what the doctor said and and so it's sort of there's there's laughing and there's there's back and forth jokes and mm-hmm. Uh, there's a demonstration with a chicken that I <laughs> the viewers will have to see for themselves. <laughs> but it's sort of this very engaging, you know, you, you get to like these characters, but at the same time, it conveys all this health information um, in such a way that it even motivated people to take action in their own lives. Petra Martinez? Here, I'm right here. You want me to wait? Why don't you go get us something to
0: eat, Mamita? Hmm? Tamales? No. As Green explains... Fictional narratives have affected the way we see the world and changed the course of history, changed our minds, influenced or supported social movements, going all the way back to the epic poems. But in our recent history, we can think of many examples, The Catcher in the Rye, The Kill a Mockingbird... Beloved, The Color Purple, 1984, Fahrenheit 451. In more recent times, with same-sex marriage and attitudes toward LGBT people, we've had Brokeback Mountain and Will & Grace, and we've had shows just recently like Transparent. All of these things have been and are being studied by psychologists. And what Green does is study something very particular, something that she says leads to persuasion more so than any other element of a fictional narrative and that is something called transport narrative transport
1: so transportation into a narrative world is that full immersion that we have when we're experiencing a really good story so it's you know when we're racing to the end of a great mystery novel or we're sitting in the theater watching that awesome film um, or even just listening to a spellbinding story that your friend is telling you about some amazing experience that they had. It's this idea that our minds, our thoughts, our emotions are fully engaged with the content of the story. And so more technically, we talk about it as having a cognitive component. So your attention is there, an emotional or affective content where your or, um, comp- component where your feelings are reacting to the events in the story. And then there's also mental imagery. So either something that's provided on the screen or a mental image that you're forming yourself as you're reading or listening to a story.
0: If you want to encase a persuasive message within a narrative, transportation theory says that you really have to have this transport take place. The people watching your film, your movie, your TV show, your short film, your PSA, they really, really need to... Forget who they are. Forget that they're a person. Forget everything and become completely immersed in what they're watching, which is why almost all the PSAs you've seen throughout the years, all those after school specials don't really do much for us because they don't invest the time and effort and money and acting prowess and storytelling prowess to truly transport us into their worlds. And transport, says Green, is the most important thing if you want to persuade people with a piece of fiction. And her research, along with colleagues, has identified four main reasons why that
1: is true. So um, one way that that transportation works is that it puts us in a state of mind that, that in a sense is more receptive generally. And we talk about this in the more technical language as reducing counter-arguing. And so if you think about it, a lot of times when we encounter an advertisement or an editorial or just somebody who wants to argue with us about something, right, it puts us in maybe a more skeptical or defensive or resistant kind of mindset. Or at the very least, we maybe just have our guard up a little bit. We're like, hmm, I better evaluate this. I better think about this critically. But when we're encountering a story, most often we don't have those same guards up because, hey, this is entertainment. This is something that happened to someone else. You know, we're just going with it. Um, And so in cases where people might otherwise sort of resist persuasion, a narrative, particularly a transporting narrative, might be a way of, of getting that message to people in a way that they're more willing to hear it and And less willing to argue against it, you know, one, because once we're in the mo in the world of a story, it's fun. It's enjoyable. We want to see what happens next. And to sort of bounce ourselves out of that and start kind of mentally arguing with what's going on would disrupt that experience. And so people are less likely to do it.
0: so that's the first factor. If you have people departing from normal reality into an imagined world of a story, it really reduces, counter-arguing. And the second thing it does is it allows them to truly identify with the characters, even the bad guys.
1: Um, a second way that they work is that they can connect us with characters. So a lot of times part of the power of a story is that there's someone in that story that we either really like and identify with um, or, you know, presents a, a role model that we admire. That, but we have some kind of positive connection um, with that character. And so it seems in a sense that the experiences of that character s- start to feel like something that happened to us or that happened to a friend of ours. And so that's more likely to influence how, how we think about things.
0: I'm, 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 I'm always astonished at how you can often it doesn't have to be the protagonist or the quote unquote good guy. You can identify with any character in a story if it's well told and, and learn something about yourself or, or challenge your beliefs and attitudes. You know, I, I, of course, one of the examples I've talked to you about before was, you know, Walter White, you know, you can, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or there was another show called the shield before that, where this clearly you're rooting for the bad guy the entire time. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, but even in movies where there is clearly a villain, sometimes you can empathize and understand, uh, and, you know, shows like game of Thrones where everything is gray and no one really is the good guy until, you know, the later seasons you can, I, I, it's, it's, it's a good characters can just do some amazing things to you. If you, when you're, when you are transported into those worlds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And an example that comes to mind for me, too, is something like Downton Abbey, where it's like my life is nothing like any of these people. (laughs) But yet, you know, you still can connect in different ways with with these characters and sort of their struggles or, you know, and it's not always necessarily liking. Sometimes you like laugh at a character or root against a character. Those kind of things happen, too. But that's still part of being engaged with it.
0: The third factor, Green says, is emotional involvement.
1: Stories can create really this this emotional connection. Um, s- stories are you know somebody trying to do something, some that something getting in the way, and so inherently they tend to, usually at least, have a lot of emotion to it, and so that emotion kind of resonates with us in ways that can change how we think about about the world. Um, You know, maybe making us more sympathetic toward a group of people or even like making us angry about an issue. Um, And depending on the particular emotion, that emotion can can play into different sort of actions or attitudes that people have.
0: And the fourth factor is something that she calls the perception of
1: realism. Narratives have a certain type of realism to them in that they're concrete they're vivid. And so in a certain way they're they can be encoded by our minds in the same way that our real experiences are. And, you know, obviously it's not exactly the same, but we think about it as maybe being the next best thing that, you know, you still have this imagery, you still have this emotion. It kind of feels like something that, that happened.
0: Now, okay. So this is something that really, that I've thought about a good bit since reading your paper, the, um, because like you know, there are hyper realistic shows like the uh, you know mo there are hyper hyper realistic movies um that really do attempt to have this verite to them where you, you're you're mm-hmm. just you actually are there. It's not like a Quentin Tarantino movie where you know you're in this like heightened universe.
1: <laughs> Stylized,
0: right. Right, right. And, and then there's like uh I think about this the cartoon Adventure Time, um mm-hmm. which does not try to be real in any way. And uh I remember this episode Just so you about, don't have to hear this twice. Right here in the interview, I tell Melanie Green all about the Adventure Time experience that I had. And then I ask her, what does she think of that, considering that one of the elements of transportation is this feeling of realism? And I wondered what she thought, considering that this cartoon is very much not realistic.
1: Nice. Um,
0: And I remember, like, this is a cartoon. It's incredibly unrealistic. This is a, a fairy tale. Yet completely changed my mind about that aspect of life. And, and it, it was this perfect cautionary tale as cautionary as anything in breaking bad. Um, and so I think about those perceptions of realism. Like I, my perception of that was like, this is the truth. And I just, you know, they, 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 they put it in a cupcake and I ate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that turn of phrase. <laughs> No, but that, I mean, that's a wonderful example. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because the realism in this sense is really more of a psychological realism than a literal realism. Um, because, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, a setting that looks like the streets that we're walking on or whatever. Things can be fictionalized. It can be crazy animation styles. But again, it's sort of that, that realism of, in a sense, is this ringing true to the human experience? Are people acting in a way that real people would act? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's interesting. We did a study, this was a number of years ago and it never ended up getting published, but um, we did a study where we were kind of trying to look at at what kinds of realism would, would bounce people out of stories. And so we had this kind of realistic one set on a college campus, and then we had a version of it that was set out in space. And, um, and then we had one that just had a bunch of mistakes Oh sure, no problem. Then we had one that just had a bunch of mistakes in it to try to get people to think, oh, this author doesn't know what they're talking about. And surprisingly, we actually found that these sort of realism measures were higher for the the story that was set in space because it was basically like people were like once they've accepted that narrative frame, like, okay, this is the world that we're in. We're in a world in the future, or we're in a science fiction world, or like we're in the adventure time world, whatever it is, people kind of, they give you that. They're like, okay, we're in this frame. And then it's like, they're judging the realism within that. So like, okay, given that this is the situation, are these characters still acting in plausible ways? Does this still make sense to me psychologically?
0: Green hasn't only studied the power of narrative transport in fiction. One of her more recent studies looked into the power of a well-told non-fiction narrative to change minds. In this case, it was the book The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. It's a well-written book. It argues persuasively for a change in attitudes toward mass-produced foods, including produce and meat, and it also discusses subsidies and corporate interests, stuff like that. Green wondered if a compelling non book, might also transport readers into its world? And if so, how would that impact their
1: thinking? Um, In this study, what we were interested in doing was extending the narrative research in a couple of ways because there's a lot of research that suggests that narratives and transporting narratives can, can change people's attitudes and beliefs. But a lot of that previously, not all, but a lot, had been sort of okay. We give people a short story and then we ask them some questions right afterwards. And so we're showing that it changes people's attitudes right away. But what a lot of times what we really want to know is okay, what about a week from now? What about six months from now? You know, is this a change that's going to be enduring? And so that was the first thing the study allowed us to do. The second thing that we were interested in is, well, what if, what if this is something longer, you know, a whole book as opposed to just a 10-page short story? And so what we did to try to answer those questions is we took advantage of a freshman reading project that they have at Penn, where everybody in the incoming class is supposed to read the same book. And this particular year, the book was The Omnivore's Dilemma, which has a lot of um, great messages about food and the food supply, um, you know, government subsidies, issues like that. And so what we were able to do was we were able to get um, attitudes that we thought would be related to the book and assess them early on in students' freshman year. And then compare them to another class of students, sophomores, who hadn't read that particular book, or at least most of them presumably hadn't. And then we also went back a year later and looked at the people who had read that book as freshmen, who were now sophomores, to see what happened over the course of that year.
0: And Green found that, yeah, the book seemed to do its job. It seemed to work. Attitudes measured before and after reading the book showed a significant change in the direction
1: of the book's arguments. So that was cool. It was a great book. It was changing people's attitudes. And the interesting thing was that when we came back a year later, um, a lot of the attitude change had faded away. And this is typical, right? We're living in a, a time when we're getting tons of information every day. You know, our brains don't hang on to every bit of it. We forget, we have other influences. But the cool thing was that there were a couple of those attitudes that did actually show enduring change, that even after a year had passed, people who had read that book, were showing attitudes more consistent with the book than people who hadn't. So it was kind of exciting that it showed the potential for these powerful uh, kinds of stories to have change that really endures over the long term.
0: Yeah, and I think about how um, in this case it's one book, but you know, in the real, real world, you're going to have multiple. You know, you, you, when something is in the zeitgeist, and there are like we were talking about Will and Grace, and um, Brokeback Mountain, and Boys Don't Cry, and the real world having the first, uh, LGBT character or character person, you know, um, like it's, you're being, you're, these are all narratives and they're all hitting you from different directions and it's not, you aren't dividing that into fake world, real world. That is part of your life and it's all, it's, you know, it's being, not only is it changing you, but if it's also changing your cohort, then The non-fictional world is being shifted at the same time. And so, you know, in your study, I think about The Omnivore's Dilemma, all their friends and family didn't read it. So that's different than if it was something that, uh, like Brokeback Mountain, where everybody, there's a large cohort of people around you who are also experiencing it and talking to you about it. So,
1: Exactly. Exactly. uh,
0: I love this stuff so much. Okay, so uh, (laughs)
1: let me ask
0: you. Let me ask you two last questions, uh, sure. and this is—I just think this is such a great. This is going to be a really fun episode, and I really uh, thanks for giving me your time. Um, what is what's your favorite movie?
1: Um, The Princess Bride is my favorite movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back a ways for that one.
0: <laughs> no, perfect. I own I own that in, in every in every format that it's ever been. I have that. So
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> um. Perfect. Uh, and so, and, and,
1: uh, so very wh- strong attitudes about rodents of unusual size. <laughs> <and> <laughs> uh,
0: that's good. Uh, um, what is your, uh, and what's your favorite book?
1: Oh, it's so hard to pick just one because I'm such a reader. Um, well,
0: let's change, let me you, change it to what is, what's a book that you feel has had a tremendous impact on your life that was fiction?
1: Ooh, gosh, that's an even harder one. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'll go back to the favorite book one, and, and really, at the risk of being um, i don't know going along with the crowd, really Harry Potter right now is the one that stands out to me
0: yeah what 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 why
1: well, I think um, partially because of the the time that I first read it, I read it a lot when I was working on my dissertation, so I kind of associate it with with that period of my life, but also I think it just. I mean, it has a lot of lessons, a lot of characters that I think really resonate and kind of speak to important issues about, you know, standing up for yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. fighting for what's right, getting Mm -hmm. through difficult times. I mean, there's just, I think there's, I mean, on the one hand, it's fun, right? It's, it's really neat to have all the magic and the things like that. But I think there's also a lot of um, deeper issues that it touches on that, Um, I think are part of why it's resonated with so many people, you know, over so many years.
0: Okay. And my very last question is, um, if you could be permanently transported into a fictional universe, a fictional world, which one would you want to live in?
1: Ooh, Which one would I want to live in? That's a that's a good question. Well, you know, now that it's at the top of my mind I'm thinking the Harry Potter world, but only like after Voldemort's been uh defeated and everything's all good again. <laughs> so we'll just, you know, fly around and
0: Professor Green's future research will be into how to use narratives to improve the climate for women and minorities in science and technology fields where they are underrepresented. You can follow Melanie Green on Twitter. She is at NARPROF, N-A-R-R-P-R-O-F, and there's a link there to her website. That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. You can find more great podcasts just like this one at boingboingpodcast.com. You can find all the previous episodes at youarenotsoSmart.com, where you can also find cookie recipes, show notes, and links to everything that we talked about in every single episode, including this one. You can also find the previous episodes on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. The opening music is Clash by Caravan Palace. And if you want to follow You Are Not So Smart, you can do so on Twitter. It's at NotSmartBlog. You can do so on Facebook. It's just You Are Not So Smart. And you can also do it at Patreon, where if you pitch in just $1, you can get shows ad-free. On Twitter, I am at David McCraney, and uh, future episodes of this show, uh, you're going to love this. We have a fourth installment of the Backfire Effect series, because uh, there's been a lot of research since then, and um, let's just say things are getting complicated in that world. That'll probably be our our Thanksgiving episode, and uh, between now and then, we have episodes about artificial intelligence being as biased as humans, because it is learning from humans, and we also have episodes about The unreliability of memory and uh, logical fallacies, all sorts of cool stuff is coming up in the future. So uh, I look forward to sharing that with you. All right, till next time.